All right, well, I normally start with an invitation to turn somewhere in your Bible. So if you uh, want to follow along and a copy of the text, turn to Psalm 78. That's where we'll start this morning. And then we're going to make our way through Scripture, mainly in the Old Testament for the most of this lesson, but we'll be in a few different places. So open up your Bibles to Psalm 78 if you wish. And I'll remind you, as I mentioned in the welcome, uh, we're studying through our seven commitments as a church right now. It's been five years since these seven commitments were presented to the Pine Tree Church of Christ, and I realize a lot has happened in five years. Several, several of you are probably new, and you weren't here five years ago. So maybe you're hearing these for the first time. Some of you were heavily involved with the discernment process and the meetings and the prayer and the discussion about what our seven commitments should be as a church, and I wasn't here at the time. Uh, they were originally preached on uh, the fall of 2016. So we decided recently that it's been five years. This would be a good time to kind of reevaluate and look at these commitments in a fresh way. What does that mean? What do these seven commitments mean to us today as a church for who we are now and who we're becoming? So that's what we're looking at. We started this last week. We're going to look at it over the next few weeks. And today we find ourselves on commitment number two. And I mentioned to you last week that we've taken our original seven commitments and we've abbreviated them into kind of shorter statements. So last week we looked at commitment number one, which is we will cultivate a deeper love for God. Just simply that. This week we're going to look at commitment number two, which we kind of reworded it a little bit. We've abbreviated it to this. We will be a loving, intergenerational family. So I want to spend the next few minutes with you talking about maybe what that means, what that looks like biblically, and what that could look like for us, and why it's important. A few years ago, I was listening to a podcast, and an ACU professor named Richard Beck, Dr. Beck, he's a psychology professor, and he's also a Christian author, uh, he was being interviewed uh, about an upcoming book release that he had. But during this interview, the, the guy conducting the interview knew Dr. Beck personally, so they were talking about his kids, his family life, and the guy conducting the interview said, hey, you know what? Your kids are now young adults. They're college students, young adults, young professionals, and they still go to church. They still believe in God. Like, and he said, you know, a lot of people in that age group kind of give up and walk away at that point. So the interviewer asked Dr. Beck, he said, what did y'all do right as parents? That your adult children are still faithful? Well, that's a tough question. I think Richard Beck is a very humble guy. You could tell he wasn't sure how to answer the question, so he kind of fumbled through some things at first, and then eventually he said, I'll tell you, there's one thing that we did do right. This was a, kind of an unexpected answer, but he said, we were one of the last families to leave every Sunday. The guy conducting the interview said, well, can you elaborate on that a little bit? And he said, look, we love our church family. We love the fellowship that we get to give and receive every Sunday morning. And so when worship is over, he said, we're still sticking around for 30 or 45 minutes, enjoying that fellowship. And he said, through that, our kids not only had relationships with other teenagers and other kids, with youth group and all that stuff, but he said they also formed relationships with other adults at church. 
with people of different generations. And he said when we would stay after church on Sunday mornings, we would have not only meaningful intergenerational worship, but they would have meaningful intergenerational conversations, which turned into relationships. And he said, honestly, I think that may be one of the biggest contributing factors to my adult children remaining in the faith and staying committed to a church. Well, that really resonated with me. It made me think about my childhood, and it obviously makes me think about being a parent today. What that can do and the, and the impact that intergenerational relationships can have on faith development. Well, that's backed up by research. Dr. Kara Powell and, and some others wrote a book called Sticky Faith. It came out several years ago. But it was, came from the result of a many years-long study, some research, Uh, called the College Transition Project, and they studied students as they left their churches at the age of 18 and went on to college and beyond, and they studied them over several years. And the point of the study was to try to figure out, as a church, what are we doing with these kids and teenagers that either help them remain faithful or maybe some things that we can change. And one of the interesting discoveries from this research project was this, that college and high school students or high school and college students who experience more intergenerational worship tend to have a higher faith maturity. After years of research and study, that was one of their main takeaways, that if you want somebody to grow up in church and continue on in the faith into adulthood, they need to have regular intergenerational worship, so not always just being separated out into each generation and doing what pleases that generation, but coming together with the different generations. And then I think through that, these meaningful intergenerational conversations and relationships. So Dr. Richard Beck's idea, his thought, what he said in that podcast, is backed up by real research. And I think this research is actually backed up by Scripture. Scripture places a high value on the generations coming together and influencing each other. So we'll go back to Psalm 78, where I told you to turn to and what Aaron read earlier in the service. Psalm 78, by the way, is a long chapter. It's a long psalm. I read it to my kids earlier this week, one night, and by the time I finished, they were asleep. It's a long psalm, but I'm just going to read to you three verses, verse 4 through 6. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which He commanded our ancestors to teach to their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. They, in turn, would tell their children. You see, the psalmist here captures this idea of generational influence. One generation tells the next generation what God has done, God's laws, God's commands, what God has done, and then that generation will turn around and tell their children. And it's this idea of passing the faith throughout the generations. Or more simply put, you could flip over to Psalm 145 and verse 4. It just says it like this, one generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. Just one simple verse. So one of the questions that I have is, why do any of us have faith? 
Why are any of us in this room today, why have any of us been committed to or benefited from being a part of a church family? You might give several answers to that question, but my answer would be, we're here today, we believe in Jesus, and we are here to worship Jesus today because generations who have gone on before us have made sacrifices to make sure that we know who Jesus is. And I'm getting a chance to do funerals all the time. I can look back and I can, I can be thankful for those who have paved the way before us. The faith has been passed down through the generations, and this seems to be God's plan. Well, another question I was kind of working with, thinking about as I was planning on uh, preaching this second commitment, we will be a loving intergenerational family, is what does the church have to offer that no other organization does? You know, there's all kinds of organizations that you can be a part of, whether it's a sports team or some club in town or some social club of some kind. You know, there's so many different groups of people, that organizations that you can be a part of. But what does the church offer that none of them can? Well, you can answer that question and say, well, Jesus, salvation, the Word of God, which is living and active. Yes, we have all of those things to offer. But something else unique that the church has to offer that I haven't really thought about before until the last few weeks, I was reading through this book called Intergenerational Christian Formation, written by Holly Allen and Catherine Ross. And in this book, they pointed out something that I thought was interesting. They said, faith communities are perhaps the only places where you have families, singles, couples, children, teens, grandparents, all generations who come together on a regular interacting basis. If you could see from my vantage point right now, I look around the room, and I'm seeing little kids, teenagers, young adults, Parents who are probably sleep-deprived, people who are retired, people who are getting on up there, but you're still doing well, but you're getting on up there. I see all these generations, five or six generations represented in this room, and we come together as a church not just to fill space, but we come together on an interactive basis. We were just singing together, worshiping one God. We're in this room, but we're together together. It's supposed to be interacting. So that's something the church has to offer. And one of the things that we do week after week that's important to commitment number two is this intergenerational worship. We are a part of something that has been going on for centuries. I don't know if that that resonates with you at all, but to me, I think that's kind of cool. What we're doing right now may look a little different than the early church. It may look a little different than what Jesus experienced in the synagogue But the idea of a faith community coming together on a weekly basis to worship is something we have inherited from church history and even before that from synagogue life, from temple life. So we're doing something that that was always God's plan, God's intention, is to worship together with all the generations. Now, is it easy to bring multiple generations together? No. In short, no, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. Because it's like we look around the room and you have maybe a 15-year-old, but you also have a 65-year-old. You have young parents, but you have those who are recently retired. You have college students. You have people that can't even remember what college was like because it was so long ago. You have all these different 
generations and life stages represented in this room right now, and guess what comes with that? Numerous preferences and ideas. If you were on this side, you, maybe you would see that a little more. Uh, I hear it a lot, and it's not a negative thing. But you come every Sunday, and some of you have your preferences on what songs you want. Tony, is that right? Do you hear that? Okay. Now, he says no, but that's true. I guarantee he hears it. Some of you want the hymns. Give me the hymns. Some of you are like, I like the newer songs. I like the upbeat songs. I want this or that. We have all kinds of preferences, and usually it can be kind of a generational thing. Same thing with sermons. Same thing with what we do as a church. Uh, last week when Ken came up here after the sermon to close out in prayer, uh, he said something I thought was funny, but he said, Jody, you were feisty today. He said, go back and watch the YouTube video. So I did, and I was like, maybe I was a little fiery. Maybe I had a little bit of uh, frustration in my voice. And what I noticed, some of you like that. You want your preacher to be like, ah, you know, hellfire and brimstone, but some of you want it to be more of a conversational type, grace-oriented. Well, guess what? We bring everybody together every week, all these different generations, all their different preferences and ideas, and we somehow try to form one family to worship together. And this is part of our spiritual growth, part of our spiritual maturity. I believe the way God wants us to grow in our faith is learning to not always get what we want. I like the way John Ortberg puts it. Uh, And I'm going to read his quote to you, and there's a little bit of humor mixed in, but maybe there's some truth to it. He says, effective intergenerational worship would be a congregation of diverse ages sitting through a service of mixed styles that displeases everyone equally. There's some humor in that, but some truth in that as well. Not everybody's always going to get what they want, and that's actually a part of how we grow. Because when we worship together, intergenerational worship, there's going to be some give and take. There's going to be some mutual learning and expressing together. And I guess I thought of this as I was driving over to church this morning is kind of learning to uh, or embracing learning each other's songs. You know, the song preferences that we have, the sermon preferences, the scripture preferences that we have. We learn to embrace each other, and there's some give and take, and we can learn together. So one of the things the church has to offer is a weekly, regular, intergenerational, five or six different generations coming together to worship. And, and then what goes along with that is what I would call intergenerational edification. Maybe that's a church word or type of word that you don't use very often, but it felt like the right word to use this week. Intergenerational edification. So let me put it to you simply this way. If you are young, and whatever you would consider young, little kid, teenager, maybe young adult, college student, you need to be around some older people, right? You need to be around people who have experience, who have wisdom, who have stood the test of time, and who have faith as they have weathered the storms of life, you need to learn from them. I need that. But on the flip side, if you are old, you need to be around some younger people. And if you don't know whether or not you are considered old or not, if you're asking the question, you're probably old or you're old to someone. Some of you look at me and you call me the young preacher, and teenagers and kids look at me and they think of me as an ancient person. So I'm old to people. So what we need, if we're old, and I'll say we, we need to be around younger people. We need their energy, their enthusiasm, and their possibility, right? 
you try something, you've been a part of a church for 30 or 40 years and you've tried this or you've tried that and it's failed or people didn't respond very well, well, what happens? You become discouraged. And eventually, you stop trying. But then you get around some younger people and they have this energy and this excitement, this can-do attitude, this possibility, and we need to feed off of them. We need each other. As one author put it, the old often save the young and the young save the old. I believe God knows what He's doing. God brings us together as an intergenerational family. We worship together, and we build each other up. We edify each other, and more importantly probably than that, or what kind of goes along with that, I guess I should say, is this intergenerational discipling. We saw this in Psalm 78. We've already read it twice during the service. Saw it in Psalm 145, verse 4, that one generation tells the next. One generation passes the torch, passes the faith down to the next generation. In my notes, I have several different passages that I could share at this point, but last night I just kind of marked several of them out, and I said I'll just focus on Deuteronomy 6. So if you were with us last week, we looked at uh, we will be a church family that will cultivate a deeper love for God. And we use Deuteronomy 6 as our very first passage for that. It's known as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And I stopped there last week. But if you kept reading in Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 and 7, it says this, Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children Talk about them when you're at home and when you're away and when you lie down and when you rise. So this Shema, which was so important to the Israelites, to Judaism, to Jesus' life, and Jesus takes Deuteronomy 6 and he says, this is the greatest commandment. Well, what goes along with that is parents influencing their children. I've said before in other sermons, the truth of the matter is, and research backs this up, but the Bible backs it up, is the primary spiritual influencers in any child's life is going to be their parents, or whoever is their main influence at home. And so that's what this is saying. You have the responsibility of teaching your children, of talking about it when you're walking around the road or walking around the house or walking around the neighborhood, when you wake up, when you go to bed, you talk with your children about it. Recite these commandments with them. But one of the things that I can take comfort in is a parent who is raising currently right now a five-year-old and a nine-year-old. And just to be honest, more often than not, I feel like I'm failing at this. Is that I take comfort in the fact knowing that I don't have to do this on my own. I mean, not only do I have my wife, but we have our church family. And I think that what goes along with this scripture right here is that we're not alone in this. As we are trying to raise our children to pass on the faith to them, to have Christ formed in them, that we get to kind of co-parent and, and raise these children together. Maybe you've heard somebody say that before when it comes to a church, is you watch children grow up and, and you kind of have a hand in their life, a, a role to play in their life. So when you teach my children's classes, when you learn their names, when you when you pay a little bit of attention to them, they're not just learning from me and then other kids. They're learning from you. They're being discipled by all of us together. And we're not alone in this. So commitment number two says that we want to be a loving, intergenerational 
family. We come together every week. We worship together. We help disciple each other. We help build each other up and edify each other. And and there's some give and take, and we don't always get what we want, but that's actually a good thing. That's a positive way of looking at it. But if you're like me, you may be asking the question, all right, great, I agree with that. Intellectually, that makes sense, but what do we do with this? Let me give you two practical things that I believe that you could start today by doing to live into this being an intergenerational family. And here's point number one. One practical thing that you could do is show up. There's two words. Everybody say it with me so I know you're still with me. Show up. When I was at Mount Pleasant, you know, I I ministered at a church there for almost a decade. And during my time there, uh, the Mount Pleasant High School brought in a new athletic director, and he started a mentor program where he invited men in the community who could pass the background check and be approved to come and mentor students, specifically the football players. So every Friday morning, he had something called Breakfast with Champions. And I'd show up at the beginning of the season, and he would assign me to a student. And it was pretty simple. Every week, Friday morning, I would sit with this student for maybe 20 minutes. We would share breakfast, and then we would sit together and hear an inspirational speaker. So week after week, I would spend 20 to 30 minutes with this student. So it was, it was a kind of a simple mentoring program. But what I would notice each season, week two, week three, as it kind of went along, you would notice these students sitting together, sitting by themselves. So if I had a chance to, I would invite another student to come sit with me and my mentee. And I would start talking to that student. I'd say, well, who is your mentor? What's his name? And I remember one student said, I don't know his name. He stopped showing up after week one, so I don't even remember who he is. And I remember thinking, what kind of signals does that send to that teenager that you have somebody signed up to be your mentor and he just stops showing up? I think there's a lot to be said about being a consistent presence, about showing up week after week, Year after year, if you want to make an impact on somebody else's life of a different generation, well, your presence matters. One of the sub-points that we had for this original commitment was worded like this. We will meet together to share in vibrant, sincere worship as we celebrate God and praise Him for all He is doing. I mean, that's kind of a loaded sentence there. Whether or not the worship service is vibrant and sincere, I believe, would be up to God. But we can be intentional about our worship. But the two words that really gripped me as I was looking back over our original commitment is, we will meet together. Those two words, meet together. So something unique happened that I mentioned last week, and I want to mention again because it's been a huge disruption and and caused us to shift and rethink everything is the pandemic. So when we were sheltered at home in 2020, and then around this time, the end of November and then December last year, we were not meeting together in person. Now, thankfully, we had the online option. But what I heard from many of you during this time of being sheltered at home or or kind of being quarantined, not meeting together in in person, what I heard over and over was, I I never realized how much I miss this, how much I need this, how much I need my church family to be together week after week and to see you, to sing with you, to to be together. Like That's such a huge part of our faith journey. 
And I heard that a lot. Well, now, here we are at the end of, or towards the end of 2021, and uh, we're East Texas. You know, I talked to other ministers in other parts of the United States, and they're still, you know, not even back to doing Bible class or things like that. But I'm, I always tell them, we're pretty much back to normal. We Bible class, connect groups. You know, we're not maybe fully normal. The society around us is not completely normal. But we've had almost a whole year now being back together. And that's great. We don't ever want to take it for granted again when we miss, right? We had a whole spring of 2020 when we weren't coming together. And not to sound cynical, but what I've noticed as a minister is we're kind of back to the same patterns and habits as before, which is the sporadic nature of church attendance. And not, and not that this is everybody, but there are plenty of people, and maybe I'm wrong on this, and hopefully you can prove me wrong, but the attitude can kind of become, I will come when it's convenient for me and my schedule. But I want to challenge you today to live into this idea of being a loving intergenerational family. I want to challenge you to show up on a consistent basis. I'm not going to share all the scriptures that I had at this point right now, but I will share Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. Uh, this is kind of a passage that really resonated with me a few years ago, short and simple. When he came to Nazareth, this is Jesus coming to his hometown, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and Luke tells us this little detail, as was his custom. Jesus goes home, and without question, the one thing that he does is he goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath day as he always did. Week after week, year after year, Jesus gathered with his local faith community to worship with them and form these meaningful intergenerational relationships. Jesus showed up consistently. And if we can take anything away from that, maybe that's something we need to hear today is we just need to show up and be intentional about that. I'm not trying to be legalistic about it. I just want to challenge you. For those of you who are like, eh, I probably have come about 30% of the time. There is something to be said about a consistent presence. If you want to make an impact on another generation, you're going to have to be here. You're going to have to show up, and it's going to have to be consistent. We want to meet together, which means we have to actually be here together. And we've been given the opportunity to be together, so let's not take it for granted. And the other thing, show up and reach out. So don't just come and then punch your attendance card and then you dart out of here as fast as possible, but you're here, so reach out to somebody. Another one of the sub-points from our original commitments is this, we will nurture a community of encouragement, support, and growth within the body. And then another sub-point is about forming meaning, and being intentional about forming meaningful uh, relationships across the generation. If we want to be a community, a church that mutually supports and encourages one another, we have to know each other. That means you have to reach out. And I want to challenge you, everybody in this room, and maybe you can do this right now, just kind of scan the room right now. Look around. I know you don't get my vantage point. Maybe you lock eyes with somebody that's not of your family and that's not in your generation. Let's give it at least a 20-year gap. Just look around. And find, make eye contact with somebody and just say, I'm glad you're here. Everybody say it. 
You didn't sound excited about it. Say, I'm glad you're here. Now, when we conclude here in a minute, we go to our Bible classes. Look around the room and see somebody that you, have, you don't know, you haven't talked to in a while, that's of a different generation. And maybe you could put like a 20-year gap on that. Don't start with, hey, how old are you? I don't know if I need to be talking to you right now. But just, you can get the idea, you know, use some discretion and meet somebody. And then remember their name. Then show up again Wednesday night. Show up again next Sunday. Look for that person. Say hello to them. Say their name. Take an interest in something they're interested in. Form a relationship with them. Reach out. Show up and reach out. Seems simplistic, but yet it's challenging. And sometimes we just need to be reminded to do that. A few weeks ago, I was invited to to go home, to go to Greenville, where I grew up. I was asked to do to conduct the funeral of a lady who was kind of like a grandmother to me. She was my some of my best friend's grandmother, my old youth minister's mom, and uh, she passed away at the age of 91. And really the way the family viewed it was a celebration of life. She had been a faithful Christian, but she had also been suffering for a long time. And so we were celebrating the fact that she is now with Jesus. I arrived in Greenville and went to the visitation the night before the funeral. And I'll tell you, it was the loudest visitation I've ever been to. If you're ever going to catch COVID, it would have been in that small room with nobody wearing masks and breathing on each other. And we were having these conversations. People were laughing. It was a big reunion. I was just going to pop in and out like 20 minutes, and I ended up staying for an hour and a half. And as I talked with people, many of them which are about 20 to 30 years older than me, laughing with them, enjoying conversation, catching up on life, I left that night. I just had a warm feeling in my heart. And then I started preparing this sermon for commitment number two, And I thought about, you know, Richard Beck, what he said about his kids being some of the last ones to leave on Sunday mornings and putting his kids in a situation where they can have meaningful conversations with other generations. And I thought about my own life. Growing up at the Johnson Street Church of Christ with the red carpet and the red pews. And after church was over every Sunday, All these adults that interact with teenagers, but then there was adults as well that were several decades above me that would come up and just say something like, hey, Jody, because they remembered my name, and they would talk to me. We would laugh together, maybe a two-minute conversation, maybe a five-minute conversation, but week after week, year after year, and then going back to that visitation and that funeral, looking back on that, I realized, man, that made such a huge impact on who I am today. And you can make that impact on someone else. Start today. Show up and reach out. We want to be a loving, intergenerational church family that meets together on a regular basis, that worships together, and forms meaningful relationships. This seems to be God's plan from the beginning. Psalm 78, Psalm 145, Deuteronomy 6, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, and Timothy's influence in his life. So many passages I can share with you. The idea of one generation being faithful enough to pass down the faith to the next generation. And we can start that today. We can continue that right here today.
We're going to offer an invitation right now. If you're struggling, if you're hurting, if you need to be prayed for, if you want to be baptized into Christ, if you have any needs, we have some shepherds that will be around the room so you can talk with them privately. If you want to come up front and be prayed for in front of everyone, ready to put on Christ in baptism, you can do that. The invitation is for anyone and everyone. I want to invite you to stand back up. We'll continue to sing.